Proactive information that can drive business results is exactly what GBS will be involved in over the next 10 years. Without GBS, I truly believe that most big companies are at a disadvantage. Welcome to the GBS Masterminds podcast, the one and only platform for global business service leaders to share their experiences of building world-class shared service organizations. My name is Sashi Narathari, founder and CEO of iRadius, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm honored to host Carla Sarti, a business leader with over 20 years of experience in the market space. She has been a reputed board member of organizations like Kettering University and Rhonda Walker Foundation, and currently is the VP of GBS at Lear Corporation. Carla, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. It's my pleasure to be here today, Sachi. Thank you for having me. All right. I guess we can get started with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your career journey. Sure. My career path has maybe been a bit unorthodox for GBS, as I've been a member and run numerous functional groups, including sales, purchasing, audits, finance, and IT. I believe this has given me the foundation to understand the business challenges from an inside perspective and has also allowed me to understand the realm of the possible from an automation perspective. I was heavily involved in SAP implementations early in my career and stepped into my first foray of centralization when I proposed a central help desk and sustain organization for our SAP deployment. I saw how metrics coupled with Six Sigma processes could help us continuously improve and that drove numerous forms of automation. This experience gave me the foundation for GBS, customer service, continuous improvement, and an automation mindset. I moved into business process outsourcing with ACS, which is now Conduent, a few years later, worked in that environment for about eight years, and I've been with Lear for about 10 years now. And then on the personal side, something most people don't know about me is I lived in Dubai as a child, and that really developed my love for different cultures and travel. I married my high school sweetheart. We've been married for 23 years now and have two children. My daughter's a freshman in college. We just literally moved her into the University of Michigan this past weekend. And my son's a sophomore in high school. All right. So it seems like a lot of diversity in how you grew up, but also in your, in your job roles, like going from finance, RA, SAP, IT, Xerox, sales, and now GBS. We would love to get your perspective on the six dead or alive questions. We'll start with the first one. The first one is on the BPOs. There is a lot of talk. Do you think in 10 years, the BPOs for outsourcing will be dead or alive? I think the BPOs for outsourcing will be alive, but in a, a bit of a different capacity. Companies that have not moved into centralization might benefit from the traditional low-cost BPO model but others are gonna be looking for a transformational partner. Honestly, my clients were looking for that 15 years ago when I was in outsourcing. Most of the outsourcing companies have already started making the shift, but it will be up to the transformational results that will dictate whether they will be around or not. All right, so you think it'll be alive, but they have to adapt to alive in the current form, then they will be dead. Is that a good way to summarize? Absolutely. All right, the next question is around physical service centers, Carla. So you know what has happened with COVID and the whole work from home, hybrid, and a lot of things going on. And the shared service centers have mostly been like large physical shared service centers. Do you think in 10 years from now, the current model or the pre-COVID model will still 
sustain or will it be dead? I'm going to say somewhat alive. I'm extremely conflicted on this one, though, because we, like you said, we've clearly seen the ability of people to work from wherever. And we can find the best talent around the world if we don't dictate where that person sits. However, I do still think it's a good idea to have pockets of people in the same general area. We need to be able to engage groups of people to work together and feel part of a company. I think many companies are now trying to figure out what to do with the disengaged workforce. And I know many are trying to bring people back into the, the office. Zoom calls only do so much and Zoom fatigue is a real thing. <laughs> All right, we'll switch gears, Carla, to technology now. The third question is around RPA. You're pretty passionate about digitization and automation and you've worked with several transformation projects. Based on your experience in the next 10 years, do you think RPA technology, specifically in the current form, if you think about the RPA technology in the current form, it is an as screen flow automation technology. I know they're also doing a lot of things to evolve the business, but think about the current state of RPA. Will it be dead or alive? Someone alive again. I see it taking a different form, but companies that have not invested well in foundational technology could still see some benefit from using RPA as it exists today. I think most companies are going to start looking for end-to-end -end automation versus trying to do the screen scrape and repeat a specific part of the process. Right now, I mean, RPA is used in about 40% of many processes. The complexity with the current version of RPA, though, is the underlying systems change frequently, and that often breaks the RPA automation. So if there isn't a robust governance process in place to test for these regular upgrades, company could be in a bit of trouble because the fields may have changed. Now the robot's doing something that's completely unintended. And the other aspect, too, to RPA is the control environment. When we, mm -hmm. we started our program, we brought audit, internal and external, into the process. And it really, again, comes down to having a very robust governance process around the whole thing from creation to change of, of the robots to make sure that the control environment stays intact. And again, you know, trying to find that end-to-end -end automation in one tool, and then we use it for, you know, kind of the smaller pieces that are remaining. And who knows where blockchain may fit in in the future? We haven't seen enough of the business case at this point, but it definitely has the potential to take an end-to-end -end process, automation B2B and B2C. So that'll be interesting. Got it. So it almost seems like what you're saying is companies will look at the core process, let's say whether it's hire to retire, order to cash, procure to pay, and they look for an end-to-end -end solution, but then there'll always be some automation gaps. So then RPS could be certain widgets that you bring in on a situational basis. Right. And even... For example, on the HR onboarding side, you know, getting the emails created from what's driven by the system, it's just such a great use of, of that technology. Got it. Very good one. Like we could use a tool like Workday for hire to retire as an overall business process or SAP success factors, but then there could be some specific pockets that are worth automating above and beyond that. Exactly. All right. The next one is on AI. As you know, AI has a lot of hype as well as a lot of promise. What do you think will happen to AI 10 years from now? I think it's definitely going to be alive in GBS. Proactive information that can drive business results is exactly what GBS will be involved in over the next 10 years. Of course, companies will have to make technology investments now in order to leverage the greatest power of AI in the future. Having data lakes or consolidated ERP systems would be the best underlying technology for it. 
And many companies are lucky to have this foundation, especially within the automotive industry and others. There's been so much M&A activity over the last 20 years that many companies will have to make that investment because we have disparate systems from the different acquisitions. Yeah. I think you brought up a very good point, right? You could, we could also say, I'm curious what you think, the core like SAP or Oracle or the core ERPs and the RPS might be table stakes and everybody has to do it. But then the real differentiation where the data will be the new oil, which is the companies that figure out how to tap into data and bring intelligence into every aspect of their operations might become mm-hmm. your fundamental differentiation for better service, increasing profitability. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. It's a a huge one, right? And being able to take data and be proactive and drive those value-added results for the company will will be a huge differentiator. Awesome. All right. Switching gears from technology. The next one is around uh, India as a service center location. We're all feeling the pain of the inflation here in the US and Europe as we speak, and we know how much it changes. India has had this inflation rates 8% plus over the last decade. So there is this consistent wage increases, growing inflation rate. And then India is one of the top destinations today for a shared service center. But would love to get your bold and blunt opinion on how would it look like in a decade from now? I think it's going to be alive. Honestly, though, I thought India as a major service location would have already been dead because inflation and attrition has been an issue since I was in outsourcing. However, The top 20 most admired companies in GBS have almost 17% of their workforce combined in India. Some outsourced, some captive. In 10 years, I think India as a major service center will be tied to how well the BPOs do, whether they're kind of alive or dead, as well as, you know, do we have big service centers or not? Regardless, though, I think India is going to remain a great location to find talented workers. The population is highly educated and very analytical, and that's what we're going to need. Got it. All right, that brings us to our last question, which is the fate of our own GBS. I know this is a tough one. We are all part of it. What do you think of a GBS as an organization, right? It went from in-market to shared services, now GBS, and it's evolving. But macro level, if you think about the GBS, ultimately your customers are your CXOs of your companies, from CFO, CHRO, and so forth. Do you think GBS itself is in the right track? Will it be dead or alive in a decade? Very much alive. And I feel very strongly about this one. You know, there's, there's maybe some personal reason, but companies that have already made the initial investment in centralization and some sort of technology standardization, they're just seeing the tip of the iceberg on the payback side. The business case for GBS is not just about cost. It's about centralized data and analytics like we were just talking about. The companies that understand this will continue to drive innovation and value by utilizing GBS organizations. With so much M&A activity and competition, companies need to ensure that they have the best cost structure and be able to move nimbly based on market conditions while integrating acquisitions fast. Without GBS, I truly believe that most big companies are at a disadvantage. The companies who don't have GBS may find themselves not being able to respond as fast as the competition to market conditions or have the right data to make those company-wide decisions and will either decide to move to GBS or maybe they won't be around in 10 years. It's a com- very competitive landscape these days, right? Yeah. So Carla, it's interesting you say that if you look at all the companies, there is one department that is always measured on numbers and that's sales, right? You cannot not hit your targets and revenue and so forth. 
but after actually sales department gbs is probably the next department that gets really measured on value metrics outcomes and i think over the last decade the gbs has actually figured out how to do this it's probably one of the few i'm just curious what are your thoughts on that and what does this mean as the gbs organization evolves absolutely and the other organization that i've been involved with is purchasing and their numbers are quite key as well but gbs were the ones that have key process indicators service level agreements and we're get measured on cost savings that goes all the way up to the ceo in our case and then if we can harness that and translate it back into business value and what metrics can be used to drive the company growth and transformation that's the power of gbs you bet all right so finally on a closing remarks we would love to get your advice for people in gbs or people who are thinking about a career in gbs you made a very successful transition from a very different background so what would be your advice from an overall career perspective i typically use the mcdonald's model to explain to younger employees they need to build a good foundation before they look to move up the ladder and this really holds true within gbs too you can't own a mcdonald's without understanding each operation and i might be dating myself here but at one time you had to work in each one flipping burgers running the drive through etc and i believe that i have been successful because i've moved through different departments and again understand kind of the end to end process how one department impacts another and if you want a career in gbs which i highly suggest you have to have a transformational innovative mindset keep your eye on the new technologies and stay close to what's going on in the industry and also now more than ever we really have to ensure that we have the right skill sets in the gbs groups and retain the best talent in order to move the needle up the maturity curve we need to ensure that we have the right mix of skill sets also you need to have amazing people to do the day-to-day -day operations and analytics but we also need those forward thinkers to drive transformation great gbs groups hit their key process indicators and service level agreements but what separates the amazing ones is driving that company wide transformation we've been talking about all right so i think the takeaway for the audience is be highly adaptable and be on the forefront of bringing change carla this exactly. has been a very insightful conversation thank you so much it has been a delight to have you on gbs masterminds today thank you for having me that was the gbs masterminds podcast for more information visit gbsmasterminds.com and make sure to search for gbs masterminds in apple podcasts google podcasts spotify or anywhere else podcasts are found click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and on behalf of the team here at high radius thanks for listening